Hallelujah. Let's go ahead and get started. We are going to continue on in the book of 1 Corinthians. This is part 8, and I think we're going to make it through all the way through chapter 5 today. It's a relatively short chapter, Um, but just as I always do, we'll recap last week. Last week, Paul began to, if you remember, sarcastically chastise the Corinthian church because Basically, they were misbehaving, they were being arrogant, they were, they were elevating themselves higher than they should, so, so Paul got a little sarcastic with them. And like I said, I kind of like that because I'm fond of sarcasm myself. But if you remember, he wondered, how, how had they gotten so far above the apostles, even without them there? Somehow they had elevated themselves to a position of wisdom and judgment that was probably getting close to putting themselves equal with God, if you think about it, because they were making judgments that they shouldn't have been judging. Amen. But then he began to, as he chastised them, he began to to remind them why he was doing it. And I think this is something we have to remember, um, particularly when we're looking into the Word of God, when when our leaders are, are, are correcting us, when parents are correcting their children, something the children should keep in mind is that when it's happening, it is being done for their benefit. And that's the way it always, the way it should be. That when we, when, we, when we correct, when we discipline, we do it for the benefit of those, not because we, there's a joy in punishing, there's a joy in correcting, but because we want the best for them, because we care about them, we love them. And that's what Paul was saying. He says, you know what? I started this church. I'm your father in the faith. I care about you guys so much. And I just want you to grow past this. I want you to get above it. But he had to deal. He had to get their attention. But he had their best interest in mind. And then he sent Timothy to him. And he said, you know what? I'm going to send Timothy. He's been trained under me. He, he knows what I teach, just like I taught you. And I'm sending him because I, I want to remind you of what I've taught you and that you would be imitators of me. Right, And we looked at the, the reality is that we should be people that, that other people can imitate. We should be Christians that other younger Christians can imitate. We want to do the same with parents. As parents, we want to be parents that our kids can emulate. Because the truth is, is that our kids are going to watch us and see what we're doing. And they're going to imitate you whether you like it or not. They're going to do the things that you do whether you like it or not. So make sure that you're doing things that are appropriate for people to be following you to do. Amen? And then finally he said, you know what? And there are still going to be those of you who are going to read this letter and you're still going to be too arrogant, too puffed up, too prideful. And he said, if, if you can't get with the program, if you can't correct things by this letter, I will have to deal with you when I get there. He says, you know, but I would rather that you would read this letter and it would affect a change in your life rather that I could come in a spirit of gentleness and love instead of having to come with a rod when I get there. And that's where we left off last week. And then today, Paul is going to continue on dealing with what's going on in this Corinthian church. And the truth is, is today Paul's dealing with some pretty rough stuff. He's dealing with some pretty severe sexual immorality in the church. And then he has to deal with the subject of judgment. And the truth is, is that the subject of judgment is probably going to come cost you in a way that you're not used to. You're going you're gonna to hear some stuff that you may not have heard in the Christian church because if you, if you ask, particularly people that are unbelievers, but even in the Christian church, we're not supposed to judge anything. But the truth is that that's not actually the case. We are expected to judge those who are in the church. 
he points out that as Christians, we actually are to judge other Christians. Now, I'm not talking about judging their mistakes or judging their failures. I'm not talking about judging their salvation. I'm not even talking about judging their ministry. Actually, Paul just dealt with that. We're not supposed to judge our other servants, their, their ministry, the effect. But we are supposed to hold people accountable for their actions. Amen? And the truth is, is that if we live with a mentality and an idea in our head that anything goes, grace covers all, we can't judge anybody, you know, you get saved so you can do whatever, we're actually going to be hurting ourselves, we're going to be hurting our children, we're going to be hurting the church. Because the truth is, is that that we weren't saved so that we could do whatever we want, we were saved so we could finally live the life that, that God has called us to live. And in our salvation, in the the new creation that we are, the new spirit that we have inside of us that allows us to live the way that God intended us to live. Before you got saved, you couldn't, even if you wanted to. I think it's in the book of Romans where Paul talks about the conflict of the two natures. And he's, he's talking about before he was saved and after he was saved. He says, before I was saved, I saw the law, I saw the things of God, I agreed with them, but I could not do them. I wanted to do them, I saw them, but I could not do them. But things change when you get saved because you finally have a new nature inside of you and you can live the way that God intended you to live. Amen? Let's go ahead and get started here. In 1 Corinthians 5.1, he says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. This is some pretty rough stuff that Paul's going to deal with. A report had been delivered to Paul basically regarding some, some, some bad stuff, some sexual immorality going on in the Corinthian church. And... The, the, what it appears is that the Corinthian church had been unwilling to deal with this, to discipline this man, to deal with what was going on. And Paul begins to preface his announcement saying that this is a pretty big deal and his knowledge of the situation by saying that the problem was so bad that even the pagans don't do what's going on in the church. And the reality is, is that we have to be careful of that even in our own churches. Because sometimes there's stuff that goes on and people are like, why would I want to be a Christian? They're worse off in there than they are out here. But he says that, so to give you some background of what's actually going on here, a man has his, his father's wife. And uh, the marriage of full brothers and sisters was considered immoral throughout Roman, throughout Roman, throughout Rome, by all the Romans. And Every, the whole Roman Empire, except for Egypt. Apparently in Egypt it was okay. But parent-child incestual relationship was universally abhorred throughout the entire Roman world. This was, nobody thought that was okay. Even people that weren't saved, even people with no moral compass, even people that worshipped their gods by having sex with the prostitutes recognized that this kind of relationship was not okay. And you can read about you can you can read about this this idea that they hated this style of stuff and, and even the Roman the the writings in from the Greek Oedipus stories or even slander that was leveled against emperors to bring them down because of these kind of relationships it was a big deal back then for this to to, to happen and it was not looked upon matter of fact in the Roman world they would banish you to an island if you were caught in this kind of relationship. And relationships with stepmothers, because some people say that this might have been the guy's stepmother, might have been his real mother. We're not really entirely sure. 
But even if it was a stepmother in their world, that was considered the same. It was an incestuous relationship. It was not okay. And it definitely wasn't okay for Christians. Leviticus 18, 6-8 says, None of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. This is a, this is a big deal. This wasn't okay by anybody's standards. And it's certainly not okay by standards today. Many people want to read stuff like this and they go, they go oh, but that's the law. We're not under that anymore. Well, the reality is, is that God hasn't changed. He's the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. The, he gave these, these, these laws because this is what we're supposed to live like. And the difference now, the beauty now when we have Christ living inside of us is we can finally do it. We can finally live without that sin tearing us down and pulling us out. We didn't get saved so we could do whatever we want and figure we're forgiven for everything. Now, I thank God when we do fail, when we do mess up, we do have an advocate with Jesus Christ to the Father. I thank God that, that it doesn't matter if you sin tomorrow, you are still forgiven if you have Jesus Christ living inside of you. If he is your Lord and Savior, you are still forgiven. And thank God for that. That's the beautifulness of grace. But that's for when we fall, not when we intentionally step off a cliff because we think we can do whatever we want. And what was happening here is most of this church probably knew what was going on. You know that's right, because gossip, that's, that's alive and well everywhere. I guarantee you everybody knew what was happening. But most of the believers knew about what was going on, and they were either unwilling to admit it or... Or they were, they were trying to brush it under the rub. So, so Paul comes point blank and says, this is what's happening. A man has his father's wife. And this was, a, this was an act. that was, This wasn't like an accident. This, this guy made an intentional decision to do what he was doing. This wasn't, when, when we're talking, as we go through the rest of this today, and we start talking about judgment and discipline and correction, I want you to know that we're not talking about making a mistake. We're not talking about falling. We're not talking about uh, the occasional misstep. What we're talking about here is blatant, willing, intentional sin. This, this man has decided that no matter what God says, I'm going to do what I want. And this man was living in a sin that was deserving of, of being dealt with by being disciplined. But the reality is, is, Paul's amazed. He says, you know what? The pagans would have shuddered at this. And you think it's okay in, our, in the church of Jesus Christ? And in 1 Corinthians 5, 2, it says, and you, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. See, the problem with the Corinthian church and the arrogance that was going on is that it spilled over into more than just thinking that I'm with so-and-so and I'm with so-and-so, so we're somehow better than you. But it began to take, it, take them to a point where they were tolerating just flat-out sin. They were tolerating what was going on in the church. But instead of being proud of themselves, instead of being arrogant and talking about, oh, I'm with so-and-so and I'm with so-and-so, we got it all figured out. I'm more spiritual than you. They should have been realizing that they should be in, in, in mourning for, for what was going on. They should have saw that sin and it should have broke their hearts. 
for the person that was involved in it. They should have been going to him and saying, hey, there's something on here. We have to deal with this problem. Not to, and not even to the point of going to him and telling him how bad they were and how they shouldn't be, but to, to remind them of who they were in Jesus Christ. So that's the idea. You guys have ever heard that, you know, speaking the truth in love? Speaking the truth in love is not pointing out people's failures. It's reminding them of their success in Jesus. It's reminding them that this isn't who they are because Jesus paid the price. But the fact that something like this should have happened, it should have caused pain. To see a brother or sister fall into sin is not something to be celebrated or, or, or tolerated. It should be something that should cause us to hurt for our brothers and sisters. 1 Corinthians 12.26 says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We are a family, and the stuff that happens in our family should, should affect all of us. And when someone is hurting, when someone is falling, we should be right there alongside them, lifting them back up instead of ignoring what's going on. Because all that's happening is it's getting worse. They're being in more and more pain. Galatians 6, 1 through 2 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you are spiritual, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That's what the church should have been doing was working on restoring this man instead of just ignoring what was going on. And as we'll see, the problem is they'd ignored it for so long that, that the, the, the correction was going to be much more harsh than, than people catching it in the beginning and trying to help them out of that situation. And at this point, Paul's dealing with it. They, they should have removed this man from the fellowship. And the truth is, is that there is a reality to church discipline. Now, this isn't the stuff that, 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 that gets said when we're, when we're trying to lead people to Jesus. I understand this stuff is difficult to deal with. It's difficult to hear. But there is a reality is, is that, that we should be accountable. And church discipline, it's not talked about too much. And it sure is not easy, sure as heck not easy for anybody that's involved. It's certainly not easy for the person receiving discipline, and it's certainly not easy for the person giving it as well, because nobody likes to do that. Nobody wants to, to see the people that they love hurt. But the church must deal with intentional sin in the church. It has to be dealt with, because otherwise it spreads and can spread like like a cancer, and actually hurt more than just the people that are involved. Sins like this, intentional, willful, large sins like this, if left unchecked, they can divide and paralyze a church. One, it can give the idea that this kind of stuff is okay. And the truth is, is we are called to be holy. We're called to live holy. So we have to understand that sin isn't okay. All the while recognizing that Jesus Christ died to pay the price for us, understanding that he died so that we didn't have to live in sin. And even in this case, the, the, the idea of, of what's going to happen in, in this situation, it's going to be, he says, let him who has done this be removed from among you. Even this wasn't done to be vengeful. It wasn't done to, to hurt that person. The, the, the ultimate goal was for him to come to repentance and to be restored. 
as we're going to see here pretty soon. But it's a different situation now in today's, today's society because church isn't viewed the same way as it was back then. To be kicked out of the church back then, particularly in this, in this time, if you think about it, these people had given up everything to become Christians. Christianity wasn't super popular back then. And if a Jewish person uh, went to Christianity, a lot of times they were ostracized from their community. The pagans, they, they switched over to Christianity. They were ostracized from their community. They didn't have a place to go back to. It's much like today when you see, uh, we hear stories of what's going on in, <coughs> pardon me, in Iraq, where um, this, this man, one of the stories I heard recently was a man turned to Christianity. And his wife found out. And she called uh, the man's brothers back in, in, in Iraq and had them come over. And, and she tried to have her husband killed because he turned to Christianity. This isn't, for, for them, to turn to Christianity is a big deal. And to be, to be removed from it as discipline was a big deal because they had nowhere else to go. And today we hear that, you know, we think that we might be removed from a church and, oh, I can't go back. I'll just find another one that's going to meet all of my needs. And I don't say that as a good thing. I say that as a bad thing because so many people view church as, an, as, a, as a way to have their needs met, to be entertained, to, to have all the things that they want. But the truth is, is that we're supposed to serve, not be served. But there's no, there's, it's a different idea today. You know, we look at this and like, oh, you got kicked out of the church, who cares? Just go somewhere else. But for them, it wasn't like that. This was a big deal. But it's strange today because the battle cry in the media today is, is that we have to be tolerant of everything. We have to be okay with everything. And if we're not, we're just awful, terrible people. <coughs> Pardon me. Uh. It's actually difficult to deal with sin many times because we're instructed, according to the world, that we have to be accepting of everything. But the truth is, is that we can't be accepting of everything. We have to live the way that God called us. We were saved so we could live holy, not so that we could do whatever we want. And people, some people might say, who am I to judge? I have sin in my own life. So what they're actually looking for is the sin excused in their own life by not dealing, you know, by pointing, dealing with somebody else's. But we must not let modern day standards determine what is true and right for the church. And this is a, this is a hard one to minister on because on one hand, <clears throat> it can come across as saying that we're intolerant, that we're not open to people coming in and that, that you have to be perfect. So I want to be very clear and, and for you to recognize that I'm not talking about failures. I'm not talking about missteps. I'm talking about blatant disregard for what was accomplished inside of you by Jesus Christ. The truth is, is that we all stumble. Even the pastor messes up. But God still loves me. He, he wants me to improve. And the, the thing is, is the, the, the Bible says that the righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up seven times. 
as long as you're getting back up, as long as you're repenting, as long as you're moving forward, that's not the issue. We will always come along beside people to lift them up, to encourage them, to strengthen them, to remind them who they are in Christ. And even people that are that are having serious issues, that's our first attempt always as we want to, to bring them up. But the reality is, is we can't let the, the media and the agenda that's going on determine what is right for the church. We will always stand for, for truth. We will always stand for, for not living in sin, even if it's not popular with the media. But at the same time, if anybody comes in with any of those sins, we're always going to welcome them and introduce them to Jesus so that they might have a life-changing experience, that they might be come to know the love of Him. I recently, and this is slightly off topic, but I, I recently read a, uh, uh, or was listening to a, uh, I don't know if he was a, he was a, a equivalent to a pastor, or in some denomination, I forget which one it was. But uh, he got up and he, he was given a speech and he said, you know, <clears throat> I'm concerned with the attitude of my denomination because I am a same-sex attracted man. But he wasn't living that lifestyle. He says, you know what, I, I am a same-sex attracted man. That's just how I was born. But he said, Jesus is more important to me. My identity in Him is more important to me than my identity and who I'm attracted to. So He was serving the Lord and resisting the temptation of those things. I remember one time in my life, I, had a, I struggled really hard that somebody could be born that way. How could they be born that way? And I, I, I believe that I had my eyes open that the truth is, is it's entirely possible. We were all born broken. We were all born with all kinds of inconceivable sin inside of us wanting to rear its head. But the truth is that it doesn't matter how broken we were born. Because of the sin of Adam, we're all born broken. There's nothing that Jesus Christ can't restore. And I begin to think people... That better? Sorry about that. But I was, I was born with all kinds of things that I have to resist and deal with. God didn't make me that way. A fallen nature did. But now that in Him, I'm finally able to live the life that He called me to live. And you know what? It didn't, when I got saved, it didn't mean I never got tempted again. And the same is through, true for any of those people. And when they come in, we're still going to love them. We're going to share Jesus Christ with them no matter what they're doing. Amen? Because that's the only thing that's going to make a difference in their lives. Because that's the only thing that made a difference in my life, and that's the only thing that made a difference in your life. Amen? <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 5, 3-5, it says, 
For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. This is an interesting part and and difficult for for Christians that have been taught their whole life that nobody can judge anything to begin to see. And while it's true that Christians aren't to judge outsiders or pronounce judgment on someone's salvation or one another's ministry, we are expected to be honest about our conduct. And actually, towards the end of this chapter, Paul spends a great deal talking about judgment and clarifying some points that he had made in previous letters. But in the view of the Corinthian church being kind of indifferent to what was going on, he says, I'm going to have to act on this manner. I'm going to have to act in judgment. And by the authority vested in him as an apostle, he he took a stand and he passed judgment on this offender who was blatantly living in sin. He, He had rejected the provision of Jesus Christ in this area of his life and said, I'm going to do whatever I want. And Paul told the church in no uncertain terms, call a meeting. And in the presence of all, all of you doing it together, we're going to have to to ask this man to leave. If he's unwilling to live, unwilling to change how he's living, he cannot be a part of what's going on here. And the congregation had to come together so they could witness and support this action. But the entire situation was done in the power of, of Jesus not in order to chat, not in order to be vindictive to this man, not in order to, to teach him a lesson in the sense of revenge or anything like that, but the whole idea was that he might come to repentance, that he might come to come back. And Paul explained that this, the discipline that should be carried out was that cast this man out of the church into Satan's hands. And what this would basically mean was this would exclude him from the fellowship of other Christians. This man would be left alone with his sin in the world and Satan. And hopefully the emptiness of that would drive him to repentance. That was the idea here. Was that the ultimate goal, even in a case as harsh as this, was to drive him to repentance. Now the reality is is that nobody here or in any church has the power to literally give someone to Satan. The the, the power of final judgment, that's... That's the Lord's in the end. And the truth is, the, the, the judgment there is you either have Jesus or you don't. But the reality is, if you have Jesus, it affects a change in your life. It makes a difference. But this idea of sending him out, was, 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 the idea was to force him to see the consequence of his sins in order to affect a change in his life, in order to drive him to repentance. And the truth is, is that churches today, we need the, the spiritual determination to deal with sins such as these that affect the whole church. We can't make changes to the Word of God to make people feel more comfortable. And I am more acutely aware probably than anybody in this room preaching this message how uncomfortable it is to talk about this. But I don't get to pick the parts of the Bible that I like and the parts that I don't like. I was just reading... Uh, uh, an article on Facebook the other day, There's, and I don't know who his name is, but he's a pastor that's somehow 
or a so-called pastor, I would say, that's associated with Oprah Winfrey somehow. But he said today that uh, Christians should stop using the Bible so that the church can stay relevant in today's society. I'm like, what are you thinking? Like, I just don't get it. But the truth is, is that we don't get to pick and choose. We need to, to, even the hard stuff like this, we have to deal with, amen? And this doesn't mean that every time somebody messes up, we're going to be kicking them out of the church. And that's not what Paul was dealing with here either. I mean, Paul just went on with a long list of how the church was messing up. And he's going to continue on and in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, he deals with his church. <clears throat> There's all kinds of stuff messing up. But this is the only time that we, we, we see this kind of discipline taking place. Typically, Paul is saying, look, live who you're supposed to be. You know, the, he, says, he says later that the, that the liars and cheaters and swindlers and homosexual and effeminate and this whole long list of things, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. But then he goes on to say, such were some of you. And the idea is, is that's who you were. Stop acting like who you were and start acting like who you are in Jesus Christ. And that's always the answer. Jesus is always the answer. And the biggest problem here is, like I said, and I'll say it probably more and more and over and over as we go through this, but Paul is not talking about us when we stumble. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to fall. That doesn't mean you're going to get kicked out of the church. As, As long as we're getting back up, As long as we're repenting and keeping our eyes on Jesus Christ, we fall, we get back up. That's not the problem. The problem here is is blatant willingness to sin, irregardless of understanding what has been accomplished inside of you in Jesus Christ. Ultimately, what this man was doing was rejecting what Jesus Christ had done inside of him and decided that I'm going to live however I want to live. And that's why Paul had to deal with it, because there was no attitude of repentance in this man. There was no attitude of growth. You know, if, if we kick people out of the church for every sin, we'd have a real hard time with young Christians, new believers, because there's, there's a reality of as we grow into who we are, and every day it gets a little bit better. So the issue wasn't the sin, it was the attitude of this man's heart about the sin in his life. And that's why it had to be dealt with. And most importantly, in all discipline, in all correction, the utmost goal is to restore that person to a position in Jesus Christ where they are living the life they're called to live. Amen? So he goes on to say, in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So you remember, at the beginning part of this, this book of 1 Corinthians, this letter, he says that he was dealing with an arrogant and prideful people that had somehow elevated themselves to a position of authority and judgment higher than even the apostles. And they were arguing about who was better. They were judging one another. They're having all kinds of issues. And he says that <clears throat> your boasting is not good. Because the problem was, is they were boasting about all this stuff, but they had no bounds to, no grounds to boast in the spirituality because of what was going on in the church. They were allowing horrible sin to exist, saying that it was okay that there was not an issue, but they were still boasting about how 
how good we are, how, how, how good this person is, and I serve him. And all the, Paul's like, do you not get it? There's a, there's a disconnect here of some sort. And then he says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? The truth is, is that when, when this stuff is allowed to happen in the church, that it can drag the name of Jesus through the mud. In this case, even the Gentiles wouldn't do it. Why would anybody want to serve Jesus when this kind of stuff is okay in the church? I mean, they're allowing, do you, do you get what I'm saying here? It's the same reason why, why when, when really, <coughs> pardon me, when really famous Christians fall, they mess up, it causes such a stir because people are looking at these people as examples of who Christianity is, an example of Jesus Christ. And then when they, when they mess up horribly, particularly do it when they do it unrepentantly, then it just drags the name of Jesus through the mud. It, it makes it makes Jesus it makes Christianity and Jesus look like those people, and it affects so many people. Some of them are immature, and unfortunately, they've placed their faith in a man instead of Jesus. But I've seen people walk away from the church for hurt and this kind of stuff, and, and for way lesser things. And second, what we do can influence others. Says. A little leaven leavens a whole lump. The things that we do can definitely influence others. If you're a mature Christian and you are doing stuff that is definitely not appropriate for someone living according to God, according to walking with Jesus, a young Christian might come in and go, oh, that must be okay. Paul actually deals with later, says, don't let your freedom cause somebody else to stumble. But we can easily do that, just like with our kids. You know, we, we get upset at the things they do, but a lot of the things that they do may be because of the things that we do. Probably the things that they do that irritate you the most are the things that you do. But it's because we're setting the example for them. We are showing them how to live their lives, and they're following, watching us. And the same is true in the church. When we okay these things, we're telling everybody that, hey, it's okay to do these kinds of things. And that's kind of how leaven works, is it starts out small, but it has a great effect. If anybody is a baker, what you do is you put a little bit of leaven inside a a lump of dough, and it actually will affect the entire loaf, and it makes it rise, and it makes it all fluffy. And if you really think about it, it's kind of gross. Because essentially, it's fungus, eating, dying, and pooping, that causes bubbles in your bread. But it's delicious, right? <laughs> but that's how leaven <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> that's how leaven works. A little bit affects the entire loaf of bread. And that, that's what can happen in the church. Someone's sin left unchecked, because basically when that happens, we're saying it's okay, can spread throughout the entire church and cause all kinds of issues. If somebody is gossiping in the church, and it's not dealt with, that may become the common practice in the church. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. The people that you hang around with, the people that you let influence your life, they influence your life. Amen? And 1 Corinthians 5.7 
It says, cleanse out the old leaven that you might be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. The idea of leaven is being used here as a picture of sin. And here's the reality of both leaven and sin. One, it's small, but it's powerful. It works secretly. Guys, what do you mean it works secretly? You guys had no idea how leaven worked. I just told you because it works secretly. It puffs up the dough just like sun puffs up individuals, and it spreads. And the sinning member of the church in the Corinthian church was like a piece of yeast, and he was defiling the entire loaf of bread, which would be representative of the congregation. And it was like a cancer in the body that needed to be removed by drastic surgery. Because sometimes removing it is the, the best way to ensure that it doesn't affect everything else. That's what he's saying here. It cleanse out the old leaven. The church must be purged from the old leaven. Because that's the things that belong to our old life, who we used to be. And if that's who we used to be, let's stop acting like it. Let's act like who we are now. And who are we now? We are redeemed in Jesus Christ. We have been made whole. We are perfect. We are pure, we are holy, we are righteous in Him. If we weren't those things, He couldn't live inside of us. The greatest proof that you are righteous and holy is the fact that Jesus lives inside of you. Because what part does God have with sin? What part does darkness have with light? Nothing. But if He lives inside of you, that is the ultimate proof that you are righteous and holy. And the reality is, is Jesus already removed the sin from our lives. We are already unleavened because of him. Amen? So we need to ensure that we're not letting it back in. And if we do, essentially we are forgetting that Jesus was the Passover lamb and that he had been sacrificed for us. And in effect, we are rendering what he has done to a null effect. Amen? And I think we are not going to make it, so we will end here today. In 1 Corinthians 5.8, he says, Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The words, let us celebrate the festival, is a... Is a uh, or a figurative way of picturing what Christ is to believers. In Paul's day, the Passover was celebrated with a ceremonial search throughout one's home for yeast and then destroying the yeast before the Passover lamb was slain in the temple. It was the idea of eliminating sin. And because Christ, the, Pas- the Passover lamb, has already been sacrificed, all yeast, which is the, the symbol for sin that we're using, <clears throat> should be removed among his people. We weren't saved so that we could sin without guilt or shame, that we could sin freely. We were saved so that we were free from sin. The idea is that we're free from sin, not free to sin. And there is a difference. And the old life, the old bread, that was characterized by wickedness and evil, who we were, the dead man, who who was gone, they have no part in the church. Believers are, are characterized being, by being born again. That's what we say. We're born again believers. And what does that mean? That means that, that we are fresh, that we are brand new. 
One of my favorite scriptures is 1 Corinthians 5.17. It says, the, it says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the new has come, the old has passed. Paraphrased. But that's my, my, one of my favorites because we are brand new. When we are born again, it's not, it, you're not like a refurbished car. You're brand spanking new. You're not who you used to be. There's no part of who you were inside of you anymore. And as a result, we should live like we're brand new. And the truth is, is that boasting, gossip, immorality, all of those things are hurtful to one another. It's hurtful to yourself, and it's hurtful to the church. The reality is, is that Christianity is not a private lifestyle. But the scripture says that you are a city on a hill. You are a light on a lampstand. You are in a position where people can see you. And what you do matters. And what you do paints the picture of particularly what unbelievers see when they look at Jesus. Because we're supposed to imitate Paul. We're supposed to imitate Jesus. So when people see us, they should see Jesus. And the hard truth is is that as soon as you claim that you're a Christian, that is what you are doing. Because as soon as you claim whether you're living right or you're living wrong, people are associating that with Jesus. And the truth is that sometimes we make a mistake, sometimes we mess up. I got really frustrated. This just happened the other day. got really frustrated at work with something that was going on. And, uh, and I've told you stories like this before because... You guys may not know this, but I wasn't always a pastor. And every now and then, the old tries to sneak back in. And I'm at church and some or work, and something really frustrated me, and I, I cussed. I'm like, man, I mean, it's got to be rough when it makes a pastor cuss. But so, and then I realized I did it, and it's so funny because it's happened to me twice now since I've been a pastor, and it's almost funny how the how desensitized to this kind of stuff the world is because both times this happened to me, particularly just the other day, I said, you know what, I'm sorry. I, I just cussed. I didn't mean to do that. I, I want to apologize for that. I'm like, I didn't even know you did it. And then it was really hilarious to everybody the rest of the day. But uh, <clears throat> the reality is, is that I, when people see me, I want them to see Jesus. That means when I make a mistake, I'm going to apologize for it. People aren't looking for us to fail. They're looking for sincerity. But the truth is, is that when they see us, they see Jesus. Let's make sure that we're living a life that would be respectful and honoring of who Jesus is. Amen? Amen. Let's go and stand to our feet.